Welcome, everybody, to our third episode of We Got Us. This is part two of Black Family. Um, Today is a really exciting episode because my mommy's joining us. But it's also unfortunate because Tichelle's son, C, cannot be here with us because I forgot about his bedtime. So... (laughs) I should know this as a TT, but I didn't, and that's how we know I'm also not a mom. (laughs) But I am excited to have you both here. I'm excited to hear about the stories um, that we want to share. So we can go as long as we need to, um, but I know that each of you have some stuff to do, so we're going to keep it cute, concise, unique, timely, and efficient. (laughs) So if anybody uses that, it's trademarked right now. But um, yeah, we're gonna keep it cute. We're gonna just tell our stories and talk because all of us are. Um, take a moment to introduce yourselves for everybody. Tell us who you are and anything you want to share. Miss Glory, go ahead and go first. Hello, I'm Glory Johnson Stanton and. Um, I'm a mom of two children, a wife of many years, a daughter, and many other things. Thanks for having me, ladies. Ooh, you forgot you were a Gigi, I'm telling. Oh my goodness, I'm a Gigi of three beautiful grandsons, Xavier, Jackson, and Maddox. My okay. the loves, my loves. Okay, thank you. Miss Tichelle. Hi everyone, as you know, I am Tichelle. I am a mom of one super tall 12 year old. I am a sister, a daughter, and I am a friend. I'm really excited to be in this space and share this space with Miss Glory, who I've always seen as this amazing being and just feel honored so I'm really excited to talk about black families with some of my favorite people Hmm. it's gonna be great um so I just want to start off real quick so I know some of you all may know my mom in her occupation but and you may know Tichelle in her occupation too because she's very visible both of them are very visible um but when we do these podcasts we are talking about them as women as people not identified with their work and that's important to note because how we are professionally is not necessarily how how we are in our day-to-day lives um and that's just a part of professionalism that you learn as you get older so i say that to say i want each of you to feel comfortable sharing as much or as little as you want to i know tichelle knows this but more specifically glow um So I, we talked last time on our first episode about like our backgrounds and where we came from and who was the disciplinary, um, the disciplinarian in the family. And so I just want to take a minute for Miss Glory to reflect on your upbringing. So like, who was the disciplinarian? Did you come from an affectionate household? What was the setup in your house? Um, you had siblings. Did y'all 
did y'all get along um like what was that whole kind of situation like and then we can move into the next wow that was a lot to remember so So i was the youngest of five children of two parents pearl and jesse and um being the youngest is a tough position to be in because the older ones always want to discipline you and tell you what to do my mother in my home my mom was a disciplinarian in the home and my dad but my mother had the iron fist not fist hand switch or whatever it is and my dad was the one who loved to talk with you he would sit and have these conversations to tell you what the expectations were and how he felt about things but my mother was one to um she would talk with you but she would talk while she was using a switch so you know how um, families are uh when she's saying i told you not to (laughs) so um but she was also very very affectionate and even though she was upset about what we may have done she never stopped talking to us and she always wanted to hug us and love on us and say it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you if she was going to discipline us that way so we um with my mom she was very loving and affectionate and i think um and and so that's where i became uh as as affectionate as she was i believe you know with my children with um with other people who are in my life, I, I love to hug and I love to show them that I love them. So, you know, I don't want to continue on and on. So, that's about it. Thank you. So, we also, grandmother or mama, as we call her in our, in our family, Miss Pearl, she is a disciplinarian. She is a major force to be reckoned with as well, um, then and now. And that has been a true process to see as we have like a multi-generational household. So you also grew up though in Southern Mississippi. And I say that because like Mississippi often gets a very bad rap. Like people will always say, oh, Mississippi, like, they're super, super racist out there, like, or, you know, super prejudiced or whatever. Um, And it's not to say it's not, but you also grew up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, which is different from upstate Mississippi. Um, And then you moved to Utah. And that's where you decided to raise us. And um, there is resentment in my voice, but what is the process what was the process like for you i guess growing because you also moved to utah when you were still pretty young too like you were in your early 20s and so what was the process like growing up in like southern mississippi versus utah and like did you feel like that may have taken you away from your family because essentially you moved away but you had you know some family there or do you feel like it made you closer to your family I miss my mother every day. When I first moved to Utah, I wrote her a long, long letter telling her how much I missed her and how much I appreciated the things that she had done for me. Because, you know, when you're growing up, sometimes when you're in a household, you don't realize 
all the things that they're doing for you and all the things that she had done for me. And she, um, she was my spokesperson when I was growing up and, and facing different things in, uh, in school, in high school, as well as in college. My mother was the one to go to the schools to speak on my behalf. I only left Mississippi, not because for me, it was not a good place. I left Southern Mississippi, which is 45 miles. We live 45 miles uh, Northeast of New Orleans. And the reason was because Mississippi was the lowest paid in the nation for teachers. So I moved to Utah. Had I done work, I would have- Utah was the third lowest paid for teachers in the United States. So I notches, but I came here also because my were here. You moved to Utah because of your sisters. Yeah. Yeah. So I came to Utah because my sisters were here, um, because both of them were teaching school and they encouraged me to come here so that I could also teach. So I was here for three months and I got a job teaching and I was on that um, job for about 28 years teaching in school and I loved it. I decided when I was in the third grade by having um, I, the first, second and third grade teachers were all beautiful African-American women and I loved them and they meant, um, they were my mentors and I admired them in the very beginning. And I decided in the third grade that I also wanted to be a, a teacher and a gospel singer. So um, they had a great influence on me. And also about growing up in Mississippi, which is very different than Utah. When I grew up, I went to an all-black kindergarten. I had an all-black elementary school. And we, uh, in the ninth grade is when uh, we transferred to what was called a, a, a white school. And so in ninth, 10th, 11th and 12th grade, for those four years, I attended another school where we had, um, uh, in, where we were interracial there. And then I went to an all black college. So my experience uh, is very different than, than yours, Shikaina and Tashelle, as well as my son. Terrence, because you didn't have those same, my classmates and I, we just, the only thing that we argued about what may have been size or something like that, but it, it had nothing to do with money or clothing or name calling or anything like that. I never experienced that. Mm. And even growing up in Southern Mississippi, I never experienced being called the N-word until I moved to the state of Utah. That was the first time I was called um, an N-word. And so I'm just gonna say N-word cause it sounds um, better than the word itself. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> yes. And so there was a parent in a store called Safeway. It was a mother and her daughter and the little girl, I, I'm assuming her age was maybe about five years old. And she pointed at me and she said, hey mommy, look at the, and then her mother said, oh no. I'm so sorry that she said that. And I told her mother, no need to apologize. She's only saying what she's been taught. And so that was my introduction, so to speak, to Utah and being called something like that by a child. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we could say, you know, not much has changed from then to now, uh, unfortunately. But, okay, thank you for sharing all of that. And I guess moving on, so when you moved to Utah, shortly after you got married, and you decided to have this whole family, but why did you decide, and I'm gonna ask Tashelle this too, because I know Tashelle is a mother. She didn't have a planned pregnancy, but she still decided to become a mother. So for y'all, what made you want to be a mom? Like, why did you decide, you know, I want kids or I wanna keep my baby? rather than like adoption or any other form like why did y'all decide you know I think I want to be a mom so Miss Tichelle why did you decide you want to be a mom yes well my experience as you know um I became I was a very young mom I actually didn't even grow up in, growing up in Utah. Let me preface: there is no at the time there's no such thing as sex education. I didn't even know what it was until it happened, and then I happened to get pregnant. And so my choices growing up LDS were adoption or to somehow figure out a way to keep my child. So I actually went to LDS Family Services at the time and took adoption classes. I wasn't opposed to it. Um, I, again, wasn't something that wasn't planned. I wasn't out in the streets. It's just like my first experience. Here's my lesson learned. And after taking these adoption classes, I really saw the beauty in it. Um, but for me, um, talking to family and my support system at the time, and then, you know, some opinions from the, the peanut gallery that were never part of C's life, um, <clears throat> They, you know, saw adoption as if it was giving an animal to a shelter and that kind of bothered me. And I decided that, you know, there, it was my responsibility. So I chose to keep C, which is one of the greatest blessings I could say. Um, I had a lot of support from my mom at the time. Um, and so without her... I probably would have probably done the uh went probably had a different route at the time there wasn't there wasn't a third option it was just one of the two right so even though there is other options but um so yeah I I became a very young mom I learned a lot from like my grandma like examples that my grandma and my mom were I went to a school with all moms young parent moms for a year and then had the very fortunate opportunity to move to a, a regular high school I share with air quotes that had a child care so he could go with me to high school so he's literally gone to school with me since diapers since birth so poor kid but anyway <laughs> so I just um I had interestingly enough I had faith that it's something that it was a decision I made. I wasn't fully aware of what the consequences were, what that decision was, but I knew that I did have some support and it's something I could do. And I had faith that if I made the right choices and continued to go to school and just continued to be the person that I was, that it would work out. So I'm very blessed because now I, I was telling you kind of this yesterday 
in this day and age, if, if I hadn't had a child, I would be a little bit more reluctant because of the world we live in. But um, I would say, um, yeah, <laughs> it's a blessing. It, it, there's some challenges for sure. Being a single parent was not, uh, was de- definitely frowned upon when you grew up in an LDS uh, community. It was frowned upon. I would, I, so I did everything in my power not to be a stereotype. And that means I, I, I missed out on a lot of things, but that's okay. And, um, you know, it does make certain things in life a little bit harder when it, when you think about, I didn't go out much cause I didn't want to ask my parents to babysit. It just wasn't their responsibility. So I didn't ask, I didn't have real college experiences, anything fun like that. Dating is really rough <laughs> when you have a plus one. And now they're taller than most of the people I even meet. So <laughs> it's a struggle, but they are a blessing. I think they're the reason I um, I am who I am because they're my main motivation. So long story short, <laughs> being a parent is beautiful. It's challenging, um, but I, I'm grateful for the decision I made. Mm. How about you, Miss Glory? Tichelle, you're a beautiful mom. And I've always admired you from the time I met you. And um, that was a, when you were just coming to college. And I was just really proud of you because how, how you never let anything stop you from, uh, I think you challenged yourself. And, and, um, and so you, you succeeded, You're beautiful. Uh, for me, I think it was ex- expected that uh, you get married, you have children, and, uh, and and you go on from there. I also, I think, I, I didn't like this, that it was expected of a girl, you know, and we started giving little girls baby dolls, dolls that that would talk, that would cry, that would urinate, that you push in a basket, all these different things um, for, for little girls and, um, you know, and then the stereotypes, how we would give things to little boys. And so, like I said, I wanted to be um, a teacher. And then, so I was also practiced being a mom, you know, with the dolls. So I decided that I wanted to wait uh, a, a long time. My mother talked to us about getting pregnant and she didn't go into details. She just said, if you get, this is what will happen <laughs> if, if you do this. And and if you get pregnant, you're gonna stay home. You're gonna rock the baby in this rocking chair, and that's it. That's and so I decided I don't want to stay home and rock the baby in the rocking chair. So I uh, I had my first baby. I was expecting, and I tell my children at 29, 29. And so the next day I turned 30. So I was really 29 when I had my son. And then in between, I had a miscarriage. So I was afraid to to have another child right away. And so I waited. And then I was expecting my second, my third child at 36. 37. <laughs> I, was, I was really 36 and I turned 37 two weeks later. so you were so you were 36 you turned 37 two weeks later 
you had your first baby at 29 and the next day you turned 30 but you really had your first one at 30. No I didn't I had my first one at 29. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And and what else but but why did you decide like so you waited which is okay but why did you what made you say like hey I want to be a mom like it was the condition you received as a young child or did you just feel like no my my all my uh siblings except for one no all of them had children by the time I I had a child um I for the reason I waited so long was because I I had a career in music and I wanted to continue to sing and when I decided that I had done a lot of things that I had experienced a lot of different things and I said okay I'm ready to be a mom and if it had been left up to my husband we would have had a child immediately um, after we got married that's what he wanted to do maybe a year or two later you know I got some really bad advice from a minister once because I went in to see the minister uh, you know when you first marry there are some obstacles that you cross and the minister said you know what you need to do you need to have a baby so I left him I didn't go back to that minister anymore for uh, for comfort <laughs> For counseling we were done and because that was not the right thing to do but I wanted to become a mother because I wanted to share the love that I know I had I have more enough love in me uh, to share and I wanted to raise uh, I only wanted two or three children and I wanted to share the love that my mother had given to me I wanted to to just pass that on and I was very blessed to have uh, a boy and girl although seven years apart you know that was just something all by itself two children seven years apart so with a son being 14 a daughter being um seven seven thank you for the math a daughter being (laughs) being seven they were just like uh water and oil you know that's how they were but as they've gotten older i used to tell them uh you guys argue and you may have these um disagreements at home but when you when you leave home and you leave each other then that's it you're never going to live together again so try to enjoy the time that you have with with each other now so I don't know if I answered your question but Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a mother just to share the love that I know I have more I like it I like it so and I, I asked that question because oftentimes there's conversations now, like Tashela saying she, myself, and our friend Clarissa um, had a conversation yesterday. I think it was this conversation, or it could have been a different conversation. But we had this conversation recently where we were talking about, you know, why do you want kids? Like, what's your reason behind it? And do you often, like, consider... Um, do you ever consider not having kids? And I know for myself, I kind of dwindle on the fence between wanting none because I'm just so um, disappointed by the lack of progress that we've made as a society to wanting one. Cause it's like, well, maybe, 
you know, just have one, my golden child, like I'll have something to pass on to wanting like four to be like, well, go harder, go home, you know, <laughs> it's no like real in between. But I remember at one point growing up, I told my mom I wanted like seven or eight and she was just like done with the conversation. I don't think she even entertained it at all. But um, that's a really interesting perspective. And I thank y'all both for sharing it. So I guess along the same lines of motherhood, because that's essentially what this episode is, is we're hearing a different perspective. Last week, we talked about our perspectives and growing up in our households. We heard from Tanisa to Shell's sister, where she talked about what it was like being a sibling and kind of growing up in the same household and how we know that you can grow up in the same household and have like completely different experiences. And that's important to know. Um, or like Tanisa just wanted to be your friend and you left my girl hanging. And apparently that's the experience of younger siblings with the exception of me, cause Glow was trying to be best friends with her older sister and her older sister wanted like nothing to do with her. And so, you know, now now you're grown to show you and Tanisa and y'all are best friends and then you know y'all are about <laughs> y'all are about the same glove but but you know such is life so let me with, make a correction if okay. you don't mind okay my oldest sister I have two older sisters but the oldest one said that she took me to school kind of like a show and tell you know this is my little sister and what she wanted to do was every time she learned a song in school or something about music, she would come home and and teach me that. And I had to end every song in a different way. I had I learned, she taught me how to read music, how to play clarinet, but she liked me for those reasons, not necessarily because she wanted to be my friend, like she kind of was saying. So I was running after her, trying to be her friend and trying to be like her and she was running in a different direction. <laughs> so we were not close at all when we were growing up. Uh, my oldest sister and I weren't. Yeah. Um, thank you for your correction. So <laughs> on the same, along the same topic of motherhood, what made y'all decide that you wanna be the type of mom you are? Because, you know, there's, there's different types of mothering like my mom and I just had a conversation about um, knowing people who are like tiger moms or helicopter parents. Um, and then we've all had friends. I know I've had associates in like junior high and high school and their mom wanted to be their best friend and they would call them like, hey sis. And like my mom had a friend and that's how her and her daughter were, you know what I mean? like we're best friends and more like sisters, but not really. And <laughs> in my household, it was not any of that. Like I consistently got echoed. I'm not one of your little friends. Like you can trust me, you can talk to me, but I'm not one of your little friends. And so it's like, you felt comfortable, but she wouldn't let me tell the story because if I slipped up and said, girl, she's like, uh-uh, who are you talking to? I'm not one of your little friends. And it just messes up the whole story because now I don't want to tell it because you messed up my momentum. But what made y'all decide that you wanted to be the type of parent that you are? Or do you even notice that you have like a particular parenting style at all? So 
we can go with Miss Tichelle. What made you decide? I would say, um, <laughs> I would say that the what made me decide to be the type of parent I am is a combination of a combination of factors. It's it's really based on the parenting I was surrounded by. I would say there's a lot of influences from my grandma, my mom, and my dad actually. So. I made the conscious decision, and it took some time to be the parent I would have to be. Like, if you combined all the great qualities of the the parenting I saw displayed, that's who I wanted to be. Um, Growing up, I really wasn't super close to my mom, and I wasn't super close to my dad. I was the closest to my grandma, so a lot of my influences were from her. You know, as I got older, and actually after I had C, I got closer to my mom, surprisingly. You know, she became a grandma. I got a lot of, you know, I would get a lot of advice from them. But I would say, like, I aim to be the parent I would have wanted in the sense, not that I didn't have amazing parents, but I never had, if I had an issue with someone at school or had an issue or a question or a concern, I, I never felt comfortable really going to my parents and I wanted to be able to be that for, for Colby because we live in a really challenging world and especially thinking about mental health and the sort of things that, you know, the challenges that exist. And so I always wanted to, whether no matter how uncomfortable it was, for him to feel safe like he could talk to me. Um, I always wanted to make sure to try to be consistent because I had an amazing mom, but consistency wasn't always there. Like one minute we were in trouble and the next she was like, oh, let's go get ice cream. Like, you just never knew. I'm like, but am I in trouble or am I not? So nothing wrong with that. I love ice cream. You can probably tell if you see me, but um, I I just thought, you know, I, I wanted to try to be more consistent. So there was no question of, you know, so consequences were clear. So that's really where, where it came from. I feel like I found a balance between, and this sounds weird, but I'm not my child's friend, so that's very clear. And sometimes I have to remind them because they use all like all kinds of funny words and terms and TikTok references and things with me. Um, but I also haven't drawn the line so so bold that they won't approach me or share their concerns. And so I feel really good about the relationship we have. We can talk about anything. They'll tell. Even recently, there's a lot going on in the junior high level. I hated junior high. They like it, but they have friends making some troubling choices. And they'll always come to me and say, please don't tell anybody I told you this. And I just listen. And I feel really proud to have a a child like that because I hid everything. I hid everything. Even things that didn't make sense to hide. Like, I didn't need to hide it. But um, I would say it's just a combination. Like, I feel like I could always go to my grandma for anything. So I wanted that sort of a, a relationship. So... That's what I aim to have. And they're my travel buddy. It's been just him and I for a long time, 12 years. So we we have a, a really interesting bond, but I'm really happy with, with how it is. And it scares me to potentially ever have another one because I'm like, if this is so good, I can't, the other one's not going to be. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe Miss Glory can comment on that because she has too. Um, and from what I've heard, obviously, I know she kind of phenomenal and I've heard great things about Terrence too so but I'll turn the time over <laughs> thank you so 
So, Miss Glory, you, what made you want to be the type of mom you are? Well, it's, it's similar to what Tichelle was saying. I watched my father and I liked him the way he would talk to us, sit down and explain things. And then my mother was a real disciplinarian, like I said, with the, the switches. And so I wanted to do more talking and, and discipline that way. Um, I don't, but anyway, with, um, with having Terrence, Terrence was a boy that I, that I can speak of. He was pretty easygoing and he was a little, you would call him a lap baby where, you know, he would love for me to hold him and hug him and kiss him. And then uh, she kind of, once she started walking, she was gone. It was like she was so independent. She would just come to me when she needed things. And then she was she was gone to do her own thing. And you find that children are similar to that, not just when they're little, but they grow up and they become those same people. You know, where she's so, she would get her homework done. She's done with everything a week in advance. And here's Terrence, you know, he'd come, he, he just trusted us and he would just do step by step and she kind of was done so she could move to the next thing. So they were two very different people. The style of, um, the, the way my parent, my mother, like I said, was very, very um, loving, and she would say good night, angels, and um, and she would wake us up like that too. She would say good morning, and she would come in and she would kiss us good night, and and that's what I saw and I loved, and I I did the, I, I kissed my kids, you know, before they would go to sleep too, and I loved that. Um, so. I don't know that I just took a little bit from my mother and just went on from there and decided that this is what I want to do. This is how I want to be. I'm my own person. I love what she did with us. I love what my father did, but now I'm going to do it this way. And so you always want something better than, you know, than how you were raised and you take the good. And you, like you were saying to Shell, you take the good of things and you uh, add that to what you want to do and what you want to see. And then that's how, and you pray to get the person to have them to just grow up and be good people. You just teach them well as much as you can. Uh, teach them good values and ethics, and and then you send them out into the world and hope that they uh, and pray. Being a black mother, an African American mother, you pray a lot for your children. Yeah. Well, even to that point. Um, what was it like? Because both of you have sons. We've talked about this. And it's also important to note, like, and I don't I don't know that it's just, it's not, like, necessarily specific to the Black community, right? But a lot of our kids end up growing at quicker rates than, like, their peers, right? Specifically speaking in Utah. Like, they they just got some tiny people out there I don't know malnourished kids some I'm just kidding but um, like so for example I was always maybe up until like sixth grade always the tallest one of my class always one of the larger ones of my class like I just grew I matured quickly we've talked about this in other seasons and other episodes 
Um, but my for my brother, it was much of the same way. And for C, it's also much of the same way, right? Like he's like, I, I promise I saw this guy just before, I saw this kid just before you left for grad school. And I was like, oh, he's so cute. Like, bye, gonna miss y'all. And like, he was maybe right at the shoulder, maybe. Like, probably, cause I'm a little short, but he was like right there. And then y'all came back and I'm like looking up at this kid. And I was like, wait a minute, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. And even when I look at my brother's kids, the oldest one, he's nine and he's already a little past my shoulder. Now too, he's probably like, he's probably, I'm gonna be honest, he's probably like right at my ear level. But like in a good year or two, probably three, if I'm being optimistic, he's definitely gonna be taller than me. Um, Again, cause I'm only five, five, five. But um, it's five, five, it's not five. But anyway, what was it like for y'all raising black sons that are the stature that they are in Utah or in Tichelle's case in Utah and in California and in Miss Glory's case or I don't know why I call you Miss Glory in, in Glow's case um, Utah but also now like Alabama too in the south as well what was that like for y'all Y'all don't have to speak at once. Whoever wants to go first can go. Both of, um, like she kind of said, that she was, she was, when my children were babies, uh, they they were a little bit larger than the percentile that that you we, we would go and visit the doctors and then they would say, well, this is the percentile where your child is. And you know, so they were already uh, normal sizes to me. You know, but um, going to school here in Utah, I, I have to say, not to offend the people around me, but it seems that the children are a bit scrawny and little and, and tiny, tinier than what I'm used to seeing, you know, in my family or in the South or with my brothers. And so I was saying this to somebody not too long ago. My son, he must have been about five and there was just this hill. We were at a baseball game. And there was this hill that he was rolling down with this little girl and everybody looked at it and they thought it was so cute. And I told my husband, I said, it's cute right now, but when he gets a little bit older, it's not going to be cute anymore for some people. It's going to be seen as a threat. And so he did grow quite tall. And so that, you know, she kind of was growing tall and then, you know, there was a, and she stopped growing, you know, and so she was not the tallest anymore, but my, but Terrence continued to grow. And I think because of his size, and, and I'm going to include because of his, um, he wore dreadlocks and they were long and that's a stereotype. You see a young black man with stereotype, with um, dreadlocks, with um, locks in his hair. Some people fear that and people fear the unknown and what they fear, they try to destroy. And um, that's always been a concern of mine. My little grandson's growing the way that they are and, and they're beautiful, but how do other people perceive my grandsons and how do they look at my son? And I've watched your baby to show grow. And it's like she kind of said, and when I saw him in September, I think it was, I couldn't believe how tall he was and he's so handsome. But what people don't understand is our children, my grandchildren and my son and my daughter, 
they grew may have seemed like they were growing faster than other kids, but you can look at their faces and see that they were just children. They were still children. And the problem is they were treat, they treated my son as if he was older than he was. Women and men did. And they will treat my grandchildren like they're older. My grandson is, is growing tall right now. And they're gonna treat my concern is that they're going to treat him like a, an older young man and he isn't he's just nine years old and I won't say I can't help it because my children grew I'm proud that they grew those are the genes that we have in our family we grow them big and it's, it's nothing um to the wrong with that other people may have small children consider that and so that's um you go ahead to show <laughs> I love that <laughs> Y'all just small, you know? Um, yeah, nothing explains, um, there's genetics, I don't know, nothing other than maybe the weight. I don't know what explains Kobe's height, but um, I will say um, as exciting and how and funny it can be to have someone so tall and people are so amazed how old he is and his size makes it really scary. I feel like, you know, among his friends, he's definitely a foot or two taller and he's not and he's also, you know, almost 6'2", 300 pounds. I mean, he looks solid, like, you know, but um, it makes it really scary that he's out in the world and people do perceive he's older. And I always worry he'll be at the wrong place at the wrong time. I have all these concerns. And, uh, you know, it. we live in a, a place, uh, I grew up in Davis County, so it's a lot different where we live now. And Davis County is a lot better now, too, than it was when me and she kind of probably grew up there. But... Um, where we live is really diverse, but you know, there's still that, that concern that they could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, so I get scared as, as exciting and fun it can be. Um, I get scared for him to be out and about. I, the things that normal kids would do. I like, I feel like sometimes I was a helicopter, not in a, not in a, an annoying sense, but like. Every time he went to football practice, I was at every practice. Every time he was in certain spaces, I was there, not hovering over him, but at least just so I felt secure and he felt secure because you just never know. And I feel like when we were young, we were just allowed to go to, like, we got dropped off at dance. You know, we got dropped off at these events with not a lot, too much of a concern, but I still feel very worried um, in certain spaces. And he's a little social justice person like me, probably because of the species he's been in. So he's always ready to advocate for, for whether it's related to like discrimination or he's really proud of pronouns and what he knows about pronouns and not gendering things. And so he'll, he'll stand up for people. And I just always worry, like, it's really, it's really empowering to have a child who's open-minded and knows a lot more about black history than I ever knew at his age. But then I also worry, what if he like stands up to the wrong person or, you know, he's been profiled in class. He's in a group of friends. All of them are laughing and misbehaving. He does not. He's very respectful. And and the teachers have told me this. So when there's a sub, the sub will pinpoint him and send him to the office because he's surrounded by other kids acting out and he's the one who stands out. So luckily, you know, I've had conversations with the school and they recognize this, but there's, you don't always get that. Like you don't always get people who are understanding. So but like these it's a challenge that I I did not foresee um and so I just think having these conversations about um 
friendships is really powerful. Being in the wrong place at the wrong time, making good friends, uh, making sure that you treat people with respect, you know, making sure that you communicate with, you know, where you are, who you're with, just because you just never know. And then, you know, trying to let him be a kid as much as he can. It's hard. Even I sometimes will be like, wait, why are you crying over X? And then I'm like, oh yeah, you're 12. That's why you're, <laughs> that's why you're crying, you know? That's why you're upset about going to bed on time. Like, why are you, you know what I mean? I have to, I sometimes have to check myself too, especially when I'm like looking up to tell the person what to do. But um, I think it presents some challenges, but it's also a, a beautiful thing to have, uh, to raise a boy and and maybe miss and i'm thinking miss glory can relate that's just proud of who they are and you know happy and like symbolic of what black joy is and proud to be black like i hid that and he doesn't so he's learned a lot from you to shell um with social justice and those types of things he's he was he's with you you know he's <laughs> um and just like she kind of she went everywhere that I went because my son was seven years older. He was out of the house and in college. So she went everywhere that I went. So everyone knew her uh, as she got older and she started speaking out more on things. But I wanted to say just something about my mom. When I was growing up and once we had integrated you know, to this other school, I didn't have problems when I attended all uh, African-American, all black schools, as they say. But once I went over, to, we transferred to the other school. I had an afro, you know, because it was during the 70s. I had this, it was pretty afro, I might add. Big. <laughs> and so I was in the band. And so the band, I had my hat on and my hair was underneath, you know, it was just out. And the, so the band director said to me, Glory, you need to put your, uh, put that stuff, he said, underneath the your hat. And I said, stuff? You know, this is my hair. And I said, and those girls, they have their hair down. Why can't I wear my hair down? Well, their hair was, was straight and mine was in an afro, like I said. So I went home and I told my mother what happened. So the next day, she went into his office. And after that, I was able to wear my hair however I wanted to wear my hair. And I had a friend who reminded me of that. She said, I remember when your mom went into the band director's office. And so my mother has always been there for me. And like I said before, she was she she was my advocate. And now I become hers because she has Alzheimer's. So I, I she spoke for me. And now, you know, it's my time to to speak for her in different circumstances. I love that. Not, I mean, not the circumstance, but I love the advocacy and seeing it go full full circle. Um, I love that, like you, Tashel, are also, you know, very cognizant of being like, no, y'all are not gonna treat my son like this. I think um, there's also this large misconception if a child comes from a single parent household that like the parent is too busy with work to take the time to do that right or there's like other circumstances so like kids may get lost um in the school systems or in various systems that branch from school systems right like prison industrial um but I love that you also are always like 
know, I'm going to be here for my son. I'm going to make sure that I'm seen in some capacity and that that's something my parents have always done too. Specifically my mom, she's always been seen um, every parent teacher conference. And if it wasn't her, it was my dad um, when we had like school conflicts, but my dad is, is he's that guy. Like <laughs> he's, he's very much strict, very much like, a no-nonsense person when it comes to my kids and I think that schools teachers um, school administrators need to see that they need to know that you can't just treat um, our kids any kind of way and so I hope that even as Davis County like they're dealing with their lawsuit um, with a young girl committing suicide um, and I know that there are many other schools that deal with that as well Um, And as one of our close friends shared yesterday, that even as early as fifth grade, you can see the self-esteem in young kids kind of dwindling. And I think that it's important um, for those of you listening and even, you know, each of you on the podcast, if you have the time, even though I know y'all have kids, mine, your kids are grown basically, but I'm not really, but um, that you take the time to if you see a child to be there to act as an unofficial mentor if you see something say something and let them know that like they are not alone if their parent can't be there maybe you can be there um and i know parenting and community is very different these days but that's still something that's very much needed did you You know when i was growing up in the small community did you have something to show that you were going to say when i was growing up it was it did take a village you know, mm-hmm. I know people just say that a lot now, but it really was. It was our whole community. When when one of us, when one of the kids would come home, if we were sick and, and the neighbors were watching and they knew that our parents weren't there, you know, they would take care of us. You know, mm-hmm. now you can't trust some of the families who are next door to you, you know, yes. because they could have some other things that are going on that they don't need your children. Uh, your children don't need to go to them. But I grew up in that type of neighborhood and with my children now, I, as my children grew up, we didn't have that here in Utah at mm-hmm. all, where the, it, it wasn't the type of village or community where if your children came home, the, the neighbors saw what was going on or they tried to help them if they were locked out. You know, I was eight months pregnant and I was locked out of the house and out of the car once and I went across the street to this older lady and I asked, could I use her phone? And she handed me her phone outside of the door and I've been living across from her for over seven years at that time but she didn't trust me to come inside her home to to but she asked my husband to go over and fix her screen door and those types of things I was eight months pregnant and then I told her that was okay I didn't need her phone so I just came back to my house and just sat outside you know but that's how the neighborhood was here where 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 my children grew up in Utah. Not to say that there were some people that we did, um, who did look out for our kids, but yeah. can I say something else, Shekinah, if I may? <laughs> yes. Thank you. My son, was, okay, I was gonna say it anyway, but my son was growing, he was only six years old at the time, and I was expecting Shekinah, and it was uh, around Valentine's Day. And my son was coming from school with all of his candy and there are children in his same grade and they they took his candy and they pushed him I think so the babysitter 
told, called me at school and told me what happened. So of course I came straight home. And so we were informed on each one of those children who had done that to my son. So we went to each of their homes to talk with their parents to say, your child did this to our son, why? And so one mother said, well, I know what it's like to be a minority, I'm overweight. And I said, it's not the same being overweight. You can control that. We went to another parent's home here. Then they said, well, I'm LDS. And so I understand, I said, you don't understand. You chose to be that, you chose that religion for yourself. My son didn't choose to be who he is. And so there were excuses in the neighborhood for reasons why their children, they didn't, they, they seemed to me that they were accepting of what and how, what their children did to my son. But that changed later on as he continued to grow. Um, those things didn't happen to him anymore. But it still breaks my heart that that happened and he had to experience something like that as a child, only six years old. You know, he turned seven a few months later, but yeah. those were some of the experiences that my children had in Utah. And see, you know, that's why we live by the homage. Um, we'll fight some kids. I'll fight some kids over my nephews. I don't mind. I don't care. But just to show, what would you like to say, ma'am? Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to, you know, potentially just just bring together what you and Miss Glory shared, how important it is to advocate for our for our kids and for those around us because I think so often, especially places like here, you get a call from a teacher and a principal about your child's behavior and you just take it for what it is. You just assume that your child did this thing that's wrong, you know, and in so many cases where uh, our, our kids are targeted often and, or what one kid who's of lighter complexion does and versus a black kid does, the black kids is so much worse, even if they're doing the same thing or even if it's not as bad, you know? So I think if we can advocate for our kids and, and really, really, unless proven otherwise take their side in, in cases until proven otherwise is really important because then they do stop coming to us with things and they stop feeling like they have you know a safe place to go because no one believes in them and it does it creates this this cycle that's just unfair so advocating for your kids or your nephews or your grandkids is so so important and then just being more affirming being more affirming at home is really important. Celebrating the little things, whether it's a, you know, say they had a C and they got it to a B, like celebrating that, like the little things, because it's a hard world to be in. And when you add social media and all the sort of hate that we're surrounded with, to come home to a place that's affirming is so powerful, especially when you're in a society that's just filled with anti-blackness. So I would say just affirm your kids, hug your kids, kiss them. I absolutely love that. Um, and just just so they know that you're there to advocate for them. So I think those are really, really important. And just, again, teach them black history or have them or find people who teach that and have them learn those sort of things because not everyone is exposed to that. And it might help them feel more empowered to be black because a lot aren't. And that's especially for those who are like might be uh, individuals and this is common everywhere but especially in Utah where a lot of families adopt black kids but that's it they don't learn how to do their hair they don't teach them black history they they think their whiteness is protective and maybe it is in some ways or 
maybe they think their class level is protective and maybe it is in some ways but it's not it's not it that's not it there's a lot more to do so I love that um and I completely agree because I was also gonna say that um I think that we have to we have to also like you said affirm or uplift um our young kids to let them know like who you are and who like who you are and where you come from right like that all of us come from such a strong and powerful legacy um I won't say royalty because that just irritates me because that's not the case but um (laughs) all of us come from a very strong and resilient people and it is okay to feel how you feel and process that but it's also okay to to be happy and to find the joy and you should be right like it's okay that you want to be a normal 12 year old and do 12 year old stuff or a number a normal nine-year-old and do nine-year-old like stuff and uh, not not to you know be gender specific because I was a little rough rider too but boys boys are they're something else you know what I mean they're they're rough they're rambunctious they're curious they like some my smart you know what I mean they're all these other positive uplifting um adjectives and I love to see it and I hope that we as a community start reinvesting back into each other um so this is my little plug for big brother big sister if you don't know about it figure it out be somebody's big um or even like look at that process even if it's just tutoring them or be an unofficial big if you see somebody who may need extra help then invest that time even if it's just an hour a month um it's worth it and it leaves a very significant impact so we're gonna get ready to end but i do want to ask y'all this quick question and i want the first thing that comes to your mind i'm gonna ask the show first because i know my mom's not good with these but um what is the what is the thing that you love the most about being a mom about being a black mom to black babies so miss tishel okay the first thing that comes to mind is just joy every day is different (laughs) and it just brings me so much joy their laugh their sense of humor they're, they're my travel buddy, so I would just say joy. Joy, I love it. Glow. Affection. Affection. Um, both of my children are very affectionate, even um, when they were little, as well as now. You know, my son was never, as a big football player, never ashamed a, a of hugging me and holding me, and neither, you know, is she kind of now. And they still love being around me. And it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't surprise me, but it surprises a lot of people that they like me. And I know you said one thing, she kind of, first, I want to also uh, say that uh, with your children, whoever's listening, go into the schools with your children and let, that, let it be known by their teachers and the administration that you also, you care about your children and you have high expectations for your children and that you support them. And even if you can't go into the school for a parent-teacher conference, maybe you can have a, a, 
your sibling or a, a, a close friend go with you so that your children won't go alone. And thus when people may get the wrong impression that uh, the child is alone and then they look over them. So I just wanted to say that before you close, she can support I, your children. I love that. Thank you. And I would be remiss if I did not take the time to acknowledge we are in the prime height of our season, Black History season. I know we talk about Black History Month, but y'all know I came up with my own season. It starts right at Dr. Martin Luther King Day and it ends on the day of Juneteenth. So we're in a Black History season right now. But for the broader population, it is the second, first day. I can't get my days right. It's the first day of Black History Month. Um, I want to take like two seconds and I want to read this little snippet that I got from my school today. It was like a really long message, but I never knew how much I needed it. And it was so sweet and I shed real tears. So from our school administrator, she's the associate director of our Black Cultural Center on campus. Her name is Miss Bird. She says... Look into your own eyes and see your own journey and smile. Look at where you are. You are living and breathing Black history by your mere existence. As elders, we pour into you as much as we can because we see the future in you. We see our work manifested in you, and I am so proud of each one of you. I don't have to know you personally to know you are destined for greatness. It's already in you as we are all descendants of royalty. So adjust your crowns, my kings and queens. Hold your head high and dare someone to knock you off your pedestal. So I just want to leave y'all with that. I love you. I thank you. I'm so proud to be Black. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing else I'd rather be. Um, and thank y'all for listening. Also, remember, don't nobody got us like we got us. Bye. Bye. Bye.